This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody out there in podcast listener land. It's Melissa. I'm back. Welcome to another episode of Oh, That's Just My Autism. And, uh, Today I'm going to talk about a topic that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, Um, but this topic feels important to me, so I kind of felt like I needed to prepare in ways, I'm I'm not even sure how I thought I was supposed to prepare. I, I feel like when you're talking about topics that are more serious in nature, like I'm going to today, that you need to be some sort of an expert or have facts or statistics or whatever, but I I don't, and I'm not going to make this like that, and I am just going to throw a disclaimer out there again that this is my experience. I'm not an expert in this. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm, you know, I'm just speaking to my experience and how things have unfolded over the course of my life as an autistic person in relation to food, namely disordered eating and orthorexia. And if you don't know what orthorexia is, I will explain later. Um, so I have over the course of however long I've been now researching autism and all of the related conditions that go along with autism, um, I've definitely come upon the knowledge that eating disorders do very commonly co-occur with autism, which when you look at why, um, it makes a lot of sense. And it made me start linking some of my own behaviors related to food over the years to being autistic. And it makes so much sense to me now. Um, and I mean, of course there are other factors, but I feel like having the neurotype that I have and thinking the way that I do about certain things has really compounded, um, all of the other, um, factors that would normally play into someone having these sorts of issues. So, um, I'm just going to jump on in. Um, so, okay. So when I was a kid, I developed emetophobia, which is the actual fear of throwing up. I did not know that emetophobia was a thing until recently actually probably within the last year was the first time I ever heard that term and it was someone of course on social media social media teaches us so much sometimes doesn't it just hearing about other people's experiences where I was like oh my gosh I don't feel so because I always felt really ashamed and embarrassed about the fact that I was so afraid of getting sick and throwing up 
it seemed so weird to me. I'm like, why am I like this? Why, why does this scare me so bad? And I had no idea. I'd never heard anyone else talk about that. Um, and I think it was actually a friend of mine who posted, yeah, it was, it was a friend of mine who I follow on Instagram, uh, a person who I know in real life, uh, who posted very openly about some of the things that she was going through. And that was one of them. And, and I reached out to her and I was like, wait, like (laughs) you have this too. And she was like, yeah. And I'm not sure if she's the one that told me the actual term or if I heard it somewhere else. But anyway, I eventually came upon the term emetophobia, which I think comes from my nursing background tells me that um, emesis is the word for like vomit. Like, so I guess that's where emetophobia comes from, um, is the word, the word emesis. Um, just a little vocab lesson for you guys, like you care. Um, so I have really tried to look back and try and figure out where and when and why this fear started for me. And I think the first seed was planted when I was probably around, I had to be around like seven to nine years old. I just know this because I remember it happened when we were living in a very specific place. Um, and a family friend stayed the night. She was around, she was like a year or two older than me. Um, and she had stayed the night for a sleepover and in the middle of the night, she got up and got sick. She was throwing up in the bathroom and I could hear her. Um, and my mom got up with her and I could hear them talking because the bathroom was right across the hall from my bedroom. And my mom was like, oh my gosh, like what's, you know, do you think you're sick? She took her temperature and then she's like, could you have eaten anything that made you sick? And the girl was like, um, yeah, yesterday when I was at so-and-so's house, I don't remember, she was somewhere. She said that she had like a, like a pasta salad or something. And it tasted kind of funny when she ate it. And so she was like, maybe it was bad. Maybe that's why I got sick. And my mom's like, oh yeah, maybe if it tasted funny, you know, that, that could have been what done it. And I think that was the first time I ever linked in my brain that food could be unsafe. Like before that, I don't think it dawned on me that food itself could make you sick. I just, I guess in my child brain, I, I never really actually thought, I don't think about why people throw up. And if I did, it was probably, I probably just thought it was because maybe they got the stomach flu and like it just happened. But at that moment, I was like, oh, food is, food can be dangerous. Food can make you sick if you eat the wrong kind of food or food that's bad. Um, so I think that was the first seed. And so things I think over the years then after that, I mean, it wasn't a thing that came on right away as a full on phobia. 
like I said, it was a seed. The seed was planted. And over the years, it grew. It definitely grew bigger and bigger, that fear. Um, especially because I had a couple of instances. You know, when you're a kid, you get sick sometimes. I mean, when you're an adult, you get sick sometimes, too. But, um, you know, over the next few years, there were a couple of times that I got sick, like with a stomach sort of upset issue. And um, it always really scared me. I don't like the, f- like, feeling out of control when you're sick like that, um, is, I, you know, feeling out of control in general is not good, but, like, if you actually feel out of control of your body, you can't control it. If you're gonna throw up, you're gonna throw up, right? Um, so, throwing up is just, like, a sensory nightmare, too, isn't it? Like, the, the, taste and the smell and the sound and the the discomfort in your body in general um is just it's all around awful 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 I hate even talking about it I um I feel like being in the healthcare field and also raising two kids has made it a lot easier for me to even talk about this because and deal with it because when you have kids like I just said, kids get sick and I've definitely taken care of my kids when they were sick to their stomach, obviously. Um, and being in the medical field, I've also had to witness a lot of people getting sick to their stomach and caring for them too. So, um, so (laughs) that hasn't helped me get over it, but that helped me learn to, be able to be in this situation to be around someone who is sick and not let it totally um, reduce me into a pile of crippling anxiety because for a while even like the sound of someone throwing up would make my heart race and my you know I'd sweat and I would be just like you know I no it was no not okay not okay so over the years I've you know, exposure, exposure therapy is a thing where it's like, if you're exposed enough to the thing that you're afraid of, you start to become less afraid of it. And I, I do feel like that's true in some instances. And this is maybe one of those times. Um, so, so yeah, as I, as I got older, I like into my teenage years, I definitely started being a lot more selective about what I would and wouldn't eat uh, based on what I perceived as safe and not safe. Uh, I don't know how I made the decision about what was safe and not safe. It wasn't logical most of the time. I think it was just based on... I don't know. I don't know what it was based on. I don't know if it was based on anything necessarily. Uh my own, my own feelings. I always had a really hard time with meat. Uh, I, uh, meat's scary. It is to this day. I had, I don't eat meat anymore. I haven't eaten meat in a very long time. I think I was like 25 when I stopped eating meat, um, for many reasons. But one of them is I was never comfortable eating meat because I I don't like it. I don't like the texture. I don't like where it comes from. I would think too much about the fact that it used to be an animal and now I was eating it and it was flesh and I didn't like it. 
my existential deep thinking would not allow me to just uh, blindly eat meat. I had to think about what the meat was composed of and where it came from and all of that. So, uh, going vegetarian at the age of 25 was, was easy and a no brainer for me, but also, you know, people always say about how you need to be careful with preparing meat in your kitchen because you can get sick, you can get salmonella from chicken, you can get all kinds of things from pork or undercooked beef. Um, so, you know, I always kind of shied away from meat just knowing that even in my teenage years before I went vegetarian. I actually went vegetarian in my teenage years for a short span of time, but it's hard because, you know, at that age your parents are cooking for you and vegetarianism, like it was the mid-90s, no one was doing that especially I mean not no one but like where I lived no one was doing that and there weren't any alternative options and it was just easier to go back to eating meat and so I did that back then uh so there was meat but also there was a phase where I just uh started eating only like Ritz crackers I would eat Ritz crackers or like toast things that were very bland and I felt like were gentle on my stomach that were safe. They couldn't go bad. Ritz crackers don't go bad. You can eat Ritz crackers whenever you want. You could probably put them in a bunker and save them for 20 years and they would still be good. Um, so I wasn't necessarily choosing healthy foods. Not that Ritz crackers are necessarily bad, but I don't think you want to compose your whole diet out of Ritz crackers like I was doing for a while there. Uh, so I think in my mind, choosing more of these foods that were more carbohydrate based and maybe processed and maybe couldn't go bad or had less of a chance of being bad or contaminated. Uh, so that went on for a while. That phase went on for, for a little bit. Uh, but then I kind of outgrew it and going into my 20s, it was it was okay. I was still very selective about what I would and wouldn't eat. Uh, but I feel like I got a little more relaxed for a few years. Uh, until, uh, I did go fully vegetarian, like I said, when I was about 25 for several purposes, but one was just because I was tired of worrying about meat preparation, uh, in my kitchen. And so, that was a good change for me to make. Um, so that continued. I always just sort of really was selective about what I ate. I remember one time uh, when I was an EMT. I don't know if I've, I don't think I've talked about the fact that I was an EMT. I don't remember. Uh, but I was for, I think, like five years or so in the Seattle area. So my EMT partner and I were out and uh working and we weren't on any calls and so we decided to go grab some lunch from a restaurant that we always went to and we both got salads caesar salads and this was before i was a vegetarian so i got chicken on mine and she got shrimp on hers and we ate and then a couple of hours went by and we were working a long shift so a couple of hours went by and she started feeling sick and she was like, I, I don't feel so good. Like I I'm starting, I feel really sick to my stomach. And I was like, Oh no. And 
I started panicking. I was like, oh God, oh no. Like, cause she, she said, I think it was the salad. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, I had a salad too. And so I was freaked out. I was freaked out for the next several hours because I was like, well, if she's getting sick from the salad, I'm definitely going to get sick from my salad. And, you know, if you have a fear of something and you know it's going to happen, it's like, oh, it was terrible. It was the most terrible anxiety. Uh, She ended up going home. She and they found someone to replace her on her shift. So I was still at work. I never did end up getting sick. So it must have been either something else she ate or maybe it was the shrimp. And since I didn't get shrimp... Uh, I was safe, but it was situations like that where I would get this overwhelming anxiety, like barely able to function. All I could think about was, oh my God, am I going to get sick? And at that point, your anxiety gets so bad that you actually can feel nauseous. You know, you can feel like there's a knot in your stomach and then your anxiety sort of eggs you on to be like, oh my God, my stomach's starting to hurt here. Oh, it's happening. When really your stomach's just hurting from anxiety, but then you think it's hurting because you're getting sick. And then, you know, my, my brain just keeps taking it, notching it up and up and up. And, you know, you feel sicker and your anxiety, that makes your anxiety get worse, which makes you feel even sicker, which, you know, (laughs) anyway, but it was, it was all in in my mind and I didn't end up getting sick from the salad and everything was fine. Um, but yeah, that's just a story that popped into my head. So time goes on and everything's fine. I'm okay. I have two kids by now and I'm dealing with a lot of throw up and things got a little better on the emetophobia side of things by the time I was in my late 20s or early 30s but then uh, at the end like towards the end of my 30s I started getting really into health and fitness and nutrition Uh, and by getting into it I mean really getting into it like it became an intense focused interest or as sometimes people say, a special interest uh, in the autism world, right? Which means I basically became obsessed with health and fitness and nutrition. So I was working out a lot and I was very much microscopically trying to manage every single bite of food that went into my mouth because I had goals for my body, what I wanted my body to look like. And part of achieving those goals required me to monitor my food intake as far as like looking at my macronutrients, calculating those out. That means your carbs and your fat and your protein And so I used an app. I tracked everything. I would weigh and measure my food. I would weigh myself uh, once, sometimes twice a day, keeping a very close eye on my weight. Um, If my weight fluctuated, I would try and figure out what happened. Was it water weight? Did I do something wrong? Did I calculate something inaccurately? 
Um, did I need to tweak anything? It became like, I mean, I acted like I was training for some sort of a competition or something when really there was no one, nothing. (laughs) It was just my own brain causing me to, uh, obsess about all of the things that I was eating and all of the things that I wasn't supposed to be eating and what time I should eat and what time I shouldn't eat. And I think as you all know, the, the autistic brain, when it latches onto something, it goes very in depth and very in detail. And that's exactly what happened. And that can become dangerous when it comes to food because that's, I mean, it became so restrictive because I became so obsessed with the smallest details of what I was doing. Same with exercising, you know, and it's all or nothing. It's black or white. It's like, I have to do everything right. Um, If I mess one thing up, it's all ruined. So even with working out, it's like if I missed a day that I was scheduled to work out, it would feel catastrophic to me. It would feel like everything was going off the rails. It would feel like my whole plan was ruined. Um, when really like looking back, that sounds insane. I'm just like, (laughs) you were doing fine, Melissa, you know, relax. But in the moment you can't see it like that. Right. So I got very obsessed with eating good, healthy foods, things that I labeled as good and healthy. Uh, and that's where the term orthorexia comes in. That is basically a type of eating disorder where you become very obsessed with eating healthy, basically. Uh, and I didn't know that that was an eating disorder. I didn't know that that was a thing. And when I learned that that was a thing, I was able to spot those behaviors in myself and I had a huge light bulb moment where I was like, oh my God, that, that orthorexia thing, that sounds like me. Now this is after I had been living this way for maybe like two or three years. So it had been a while. This was compounded by the fact that I got into the fitness industry as my career path. So I got, I got into personal training. Uh, I got certified as a CrossFit instructor. My fiance and I opened up a CrossFit gym, like, and getting into that space where you're so surrounded by fitness, nutrition all the time, and not only surrounded by it, but looked at as someone who is supposed to be a professional or an expert and helping to guide others And that made me feel really pressured to present myself physically in a certain way, right? Like, I felt like I needed to look a certain way because, you know, (laughs) there is an overachieving perfectionistic aspect to the way I think. It's like, if I am doing something, I'm doing it all the way and I'm doing it all the way right. So it's like living up to the expectation that I felt was placed on me to physically appear a certain way was a lot. And it's strange how you can be participating in these things and not even really realizing them. Uh, Because I didn't 
realize my behaviors or my thought processes were unhealthy at the time. I totally thought that I was being healthy, that I was happy. You know, I was like, oh, I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel great, which I did. I felt great. I had a lot of energy. I was eating really healthy. But what didn't occur to me is that I was also missing out on a lot. Uh, I would miss out on certain activities because I don't want to miss my workout. I would, you know, beat up my body sometimes to the point where I was very sore. Uh, and you know, that's, that's not really good. I mean, yeah, people get sore from workouts, but it was like, I couldn't take a rest day. Even if I, if my body was telling me I needed it, if I was scheduled to work out that day, I was working out whether I was sore or not. Um, and you know, just going out and back when we could go out into the world, going out into the world and just not participating fully because I was really afraid of food, uh, in a new way now, not because I thought it would make me sick, although I still do kind of have that a little bit and it comes across as like germophobia, but yeah, but like being afraid of food that was not quote on, on the good side, like I had it categorized like this, this food's good, this food's bad, like just labeling foods as good or bad. And it's like, when you, when you're out, you know, with friends or doing things and you're just worried really about joining in on whatever anyone else is eating because of, you know, it's not on your plan. It's not what you're supposed to be eating. I don't know. It's just sad. Just eat the food. (laughs) Just eat the food. Just have the cupcake, you know? And I would, oftentimes I would have the cupcake, but then I would get this whole idea in my mind that I would have to work it off, right? It's like, oh, well, I have to work out twice as hard now tomorrow because I had that. Or, you know, knowing that something was coming up or I was going to eat, quote, bad food that evening so in the morning I would work out extra hard and it would make me feel like it was okay then it would make me feel less guilty about eating the pizza or the ice cream or the cupcake or whatever it was because I'm like oh I did a super hard workout this morning so it's okay whereas if I would have skipped my workout for some reason that morning I wouldn't have allowed myself to eat those things or I would have and I would have felt massively guilty so this is where the black and white all or nothing thinking can be a problem when it comes to food and dieting and health and fitness, right? It's either all or nothing approach. And it was, it was very unhealthy. And also just, um, the perfectionism, the obsession with getting everything right, with having a plan and sticking to it exactly, you know, all of the precision that, when applied to other things can be great, but when applied to food and eating can be very detrimental and damaging. Uh, and I feel like I am really lucky to have spotted this behavior in myself. And, you know, I do kind of have COVID to thank because when COVID started, 
my fiance and I had to close our gym, obviously, because all fitness facilities were closed, mandated to be closed. Uh, And at that time, our business was only a year old. And so we weren't at a place where our business was stable yet to, uh, to bounce back from that sort of a setback. So we ended up not ever opening back up again. And we pretty much knew when we closed our doors that if we had to stay closed for longer than like a week, we wouldn't be able to open back up. Uh, and that's what happened. And it honestly, it kind of was a blessing in disguise because, uh, it was during COVID that I was able to figure out how unhealthy my relationship with food had become and my relationship with exercise had become, uh, and really take a step back reevaluate, look at what had happened and be like, oh shoot, like this has gone off the rails. (laughs) This has gotten out of control. And I think had I stayed in the fitness industry, I'm not sure that that would have happened, at least not as soon. I mean, I think eventually it, it might have, but yeah. So my eyes were opened and despite knowing what I know now, it's not like you can just shut that off because now it got so ingrained in me that it is really difficult still to this day to have a healthy relationship with food, have a healthy relationship with my body, have a healthy relationship with exercise. I love to work out. I love movement-based activities. I always have. I think it is... um, I, I am a sensory seeker in that way. I, I just love to move my body. So I've really tried to base my workouts on focusing more on movements that make me feel good, movements that I love doing, and uh, also focusing on the mental health benefits that I get from exercise instead of the aesthetic benefits that you get from exercise, right? Like, instead of saying, instead of my internal dialogue with myself being like, Melissa, you better work out today because if you don't, then, you know, all of the food that you're eating isn't gonna be like worked off although that's not even how it works you guys I know that but still your brain can be irrational right so like the food that you're eating isn't going to be worked off and you know you're not going to get to your goal or whatever um now (laughs) if I'm trying if I'm not feeling motivated to work out I look at more of like the mental health benefits that I get and just say like hey I I know I need to do this because it's going to make me feel good for the rest of the day, which it does. Like I really get a, an energy boost and an emotional boost from breathing heavy, sweating, moving my body. Um, it really, really does benefit me. So I just have to make sure to try and self-talk in a healthy way. Uh, and same thing with food. I sometimes get still very obsessive about 
what I should or should not be eating. Uh, and I have to talk myself out of those thoughts a lot of the time because they'll, they just come, they just come in. And when they do come in though, I, I talk myself out of them. It's like, this is just one meal, you know, this, just eat what you want to eat. Because sometimes before I would be in the mood for one thing and I would force myself to eat something else because I deemed the thing that I was in the mood for as unhealthy. And so I'd force myself to eat like a salad and like boring tofu. I love tofu, but like I would make it just like boring and plain and just throw it on the salad and be like, this is healthy. So I'm going to eat this, even though like I hated every bite and I really wanted the other thing. And now I just really try not to do that. You know, I still try and eat healthy foods most of the time because I want my body to be nourished with all of the vitamins and minerals that it needs. But I also, I, my body sometimes needs things like nachos, vegan nachos, of course, because I still don't eat the meat. And I, I stopped dairy a few years ago too, because I found out about how terrible the dairy industry is and I couldn't continue doing that. So I've been vegan for four years now. And so I don't eat dairy either, but those that's more for, um, what's the word? Ethical reasons, I guess, than any sort of, uh, health reasons, I guess. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm just over the past year or so, I've really been trying to back myself out of this corner that I've gotten into changing my self-talk, really trying to change the way I look at exercise and movement as a source of happiness instead of a source of, or instead of like a vehicle to get me to a goal. And not that goals are bad. Uh, I love having goals. I'm a very goal-oriented person, but now I try and ensure that my goals are not based on uh, aesthetics you know, I, I like the way my body looks when I'm working out consistently. I think that's okay to say. Uh, I try and think of the aesthetic part as a secondary benefit. That's just a bonus. Because if I get too wrapped up in that, that's all I'm going to think about. Uh, but what was I talking about? Oh yeah, goals. So sorry, my ADHD went wild for a second there. Um, so when I do make goals now, I try and make them performance-based goals and not aesthetic-based goals. At first, I think I made the mistake of looking at a photo of someone and being like, I want my body to look like that, and then trying to achieve that goal however I could. Now, whatever my body ends up looking like, great that's a plus. But now it's like, okay, I want to be able to run, um, a 5k in under 30 minutes. Like that's a goal. You know, I want to be able to squat a certain amount of weight. That's a goal. Uh, you know, there are just more performance-based goals that help move me along and make me feel really good and help me check certain boxes and make me feel like I'm making progress without 
making it a body or aesthetic based goal. So anyway, that was a lot to talk about. I've never dealt with an eating disorder such as um, anorexia or bulimia. I mean, obviously not bulimia with the whole like emetophobia thing that would not jive well with me. Uh, I did have a friend in high school who was bulimic for a while, which was a very odd situation for me to be in because I knew she was doing that and she would do it not in front of me, but she would do it like when I was over at her house and we would eat and she would excuse herself to go like throw up. She knew that I knew and she was kind of like open about it with me, which made me feel like, I don't know, I, I felt like I didn't really know what to do or how to handle it. I, I never ended up telling anyone, but I felt really weird about like, should I tell her mom? Like, should I say something to somebody? Uh, she eventually stopped, but I was always just baffled by that because I'm like, why would anyone want to throw up? Just me being so scared of it. I was like, I I don't understand that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I could look at my cracker eating, my only cracker eating phase as maybe an anorexic type of behavior being so, so restrictive. yeah, I don't know. Would that be considered anorexia? I'm not sure. I guess I always uh, look at anorexia. Like I said, I'm not an eating disorder expert, so I don't really know a lot about anorexia. I always looked at anorexia as uh, people who had really like severe body dysmorphia and saw themselves as overweight no matter how much weight they lost, and that's what would contribute to the anorexic behavior, um, which I never had that. Um so I don't know. I don't know what's considered anorexia. I don't know. Uh, but also I have had moments of body dysmorphia. I not, not in my teens or twenties. I feel like I I always kind of just saw myself accurately at those ages and I didn't really worry about what my body looked like. But I think as I started getting older and started getting more into fitness, I definitely, I still have days where I look in the mirror and I feel like I look like my body doesn't look good for one reason or another and it's I know it's my my mind playing tricks on me I know it is it's very odd it's like you see yourself in a totally different way you know it's again it's that perfectionist thinking it's like oh this this one tiny thing feels off to me it just feels off and again It's just a lot of learning how to self-talk and learning how to back myself out of those situations when they start coming in involuntarily and uh, intrusively. (laughs) So it's a work in progress, and I don't know. Maybe it always will be. Uh, I think that society in general is heading in a more healthy direction with how women are allowed to feel about their bodies. I see uh, the word fat being used in a way that is not a negative, which I think is amazing. A lot of women who are, I don't know, fat, (laughs) are calling themselves fat, right? Uh, A lot of people I follow on on the internet, I try and follow a lot of people who are talking about body positivity and accepting yourself at all sizes and all that. And 
I like how we are um, turning around the perception that the word fat is bad because some people have more fat on their bodies. Some people have less fat on their bodies. That's all it is. Like it's not a determinant of worth or beauty or any, you know, um, health even necessarily. It's like all of these things that we've been shown in the media, uh, to make us think, oh, you know what? That could be, hmm. Yeah, I was I was about to go into another another tangent. I I think I want to leave that top. That's a whole other topic, and I might just start going on and on. And I've already been recording for forty minutes. I really like talking about this topic because it has a lot of layers, and it's very personal to me. And I know a lot of people struggle with this kind of thing, and especially from the autistic perspective, where now I can look and see how the way that I think has contributed, like I said in the beginning, how it has so heavily contributed to the problems that I've had with food and with body image and with, um, exercise and movement and being so like restrictive and perfectionist about it all. So anyway, I would love to hear if you have had any experience with this sort of thing, or if you relate to this at all. Uh, I know I can't be alone, and, uh, I mean, if you're comfortable sharing, reach out. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing to talk about openly sometimes, but, uh, it can be really therapeutic to talk about it too. So here we are. I just talked a lot. I hope that was good. By the end of these podcast episodes all the time, I'm just like, God, I hope that was okay. I hope I said okay things. I, oh, Anyway, okay, I'm going to wrap this up. My contact info will be in the show notes as usual. And reach out if you want. Say hello. Tell me about your things if you want or not. You can just say hi. Don't feel obligated to share your entire life story with me. But uh, I always love hearing from you guys. And I appreciate you. And yeah. Okay, wrapping it up. I will talk to you guys next time. Bye.